Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 16. As we are coming to the end of our Lord's preparation for his death, for his disciples, we have been looking at this chapter for several weeks now, and we come to the closing part of it, and we've seen that through 15 and 16, the thing that Jesus has wanted to make very clear, very straightforward to these disciples is that in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. There's going to be those who are going to hate you because they hated me first. There are going to be those who you're going to think they're attacking you, but they're not really attacking you. They're attacking me. But you need to recognize that 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 is because you are in me, because I am your Lord. You belong to me. And because of that, there will be resistance. There will be attacking. But I want you to know that I have, uh, he's going to say today, I've overcome the world, I am the one who is in charge, and uh, you're going to be okay in the final analysis because you are in me. That's important to understand. It's important for us today on this side of the resurrection to recognize the importance of the resurrection event historically, but also of the resurrection power that Christ gives to every disciple of his. Everyone who is in Christ has that resurrection power that Paul spoke of in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, I just want to know him and the power of his resurrection. That's a very real and very important part of the Christian life today. But here Jesus comes to this last point, these last points in this discourse before he goes and begins praying in John chapter 17. And I want you to hear what he says. I want you to listen for several things in this passage. There, there are several key words that kind of are, are part of this. One is the Father. The other is prayer. Uh, there's the idea of love and the idea of faith, the idea of trouble, and the idea of peace. All six of those words are clearly woven throughout this final discourse and these final words. And I want us to see the significance of each of those today if we can. I'm going to start reading in verse 22 and read through 33, the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again, talking about his resurrection as we talked about last week, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. And in that day you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you you shall ask of the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, literally in parables, in illustrations. I've spoken to you up to this point in figurative lang- language, But an hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world, I am leaving the world again, and I am going to the Father. Then his disciples said this, Lo, now you are speaking plainly. You are not using a figure of speech. 
Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. This is the word of our Lord. Jesus is speaking to these disciples and making it clear that the joy at seeing him after his resurrection, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, the joy that will flow out of that will result in a renewed relationship with him. They've been with him for three years now. They've been, they've been seeing his ministry. They've seen the miracles. They've heard the teaching. They've, they've seen all of that, and they've enjoyed a relationship. They've enjoyed a fellowship that has been very unique and very special, something that you and I will never have, that face-to-face, one-on-one physical relationship with our Lord. They had that, and yet now they're at the point of seeing him begin to talk about what has got to come, what is the real purpose for his coming into the world? They're, they're beginning to understand just barely that he really is going to die. He, he really is not going to establish a kingdom like they have been anticipating and they have been wanting to see where he drives Rome out of, out of Jerusalem, sets up the kingdom and the, and the throne of David again and rules there with them sort of as his cabinet of influence around him. They're beginning to see that that is not going to take place, that the cross is coming and they are sorrowful. They are grieving. They are hurting. And Jesus says, I want you to know that's normal. There's nothing wrong with grieving over tribulation. There's nothing wrong with grieving over grief and over over pain and over loss and over hurt in this world. That is a natural response to those kind of things. But Jesus says, I want you to understand something, that when you understand, to his disciples, when you understand what's on the other side of my death, and to you and me today, when you understand that I am present in your grief, and I am present with you to bring joy out of that, to bring forth joy out of what you see as nothing but a losing proposition and a losing situation, when you can come to see that, that my power rests in your life, and my power will overcome all of that, because I have overcome all of that and I've literally overcome the world then your joy will be made rich it's amazing that all through this discourse and even through his prayer that we'll start looking at next week Lord willing through all of that one of the key points is that Jesus wants us to understand that the the important thing that he wants to put in your life is his joy Joy that was there even facing the cross. Joy that was there even facing the punishment and the scourging and the, the, the mental anguish and the physical anguish and the spiritual anguish of bearing our sins. The joy that he faced, he said, was a full joy, a rich joy. And I want you to know that my joy is going to be in your life when you walk with me. And your joy will be made full because of my presence. Not because of the circumstances. Circumstances will difficult, circumstances will change, circumstances will, will, will do all sorts of things in our life, but my joy will be a constant as you abide in me and walk with me and believe in me with an absolute 
and total belief. So Jesus says after the resurrection has taken place, there's going to be the joy of a renewed relationship. For 40 days, for 40 days, he's going to have a a relationship with them that's even sweeter, if possible, than the one before the crucifixion. For 40 days, he's going to live with them and, and teach them further. We don't know a lot about what he taught them those days. We have the appearances, we have some words that he said to them, but, but obviously there's a lot that John and the other gospel writers don't include that he was teaching them during that time. But I'll guarantee you one of the things he was teaching is what he's talking about here, that the Father is now going to send a comforter. The Father is going to be present in your life, and I'm going to be present in your life through all that. The whole Trinitarian nature of God is going to reside with you and is going to strengthen you and is going to give you joy. I'm sure he's preparing me that in just 40 days, I'm, I'm going to leave again physically. I, my body is going to ascend into heaven, and I won't be here bodily any longer. But I want you to know I'll still be with you by the Holy Spirit. I'll still be with you dwelling and ministering and loving and caring for you in every respect. And he's building that relationship all over again after that crucifixion with his disciples. But there, there's two other joys that will come out of that that they experience and that you and I can experience and first is just the joy of understanding remember the disciples are confused the disciples are struggling with what's going on but Jesus said I want you to know when I come when you see me again in verse 23 he starts talking about that, and in that day that is the day of my resurrection the day you see me again you won't ask me questions you'll ask me no question Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. See, there's going to be a whole new understanding of relationship. There's going to be a whole new understanding of of his presence in our life that's going to go beyond the physical. And as we talked about last week, as we came to the Lord's table, we have the joy of looking back on that experience. We have the the assurance of being able to see in, in hindsight what took place. They're still looking ahead. They're still struggling with what is about to come. They're still struggling with why won't it be like we want it to be? Why does it have to be this way? But there'll be a joy of understanding about the presence of the Son spiritually in the life of the believer that will supersede anything that it was like when it was just a physical presence. And he wants us to know that. He wants you to know that. He wants you to know that this matter of Christianity is not just a matter of saying, oh, I believe some doctrine or some body of truth or body of doctrine, and that's all that matters. He says, oh, the the doctrine is important. The the early church, as we read to start this service, the early church met and, and they devoted themselves continually to the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know the truth of God's word and the truth of that doctrine. But he said, I want you to understand something. Out of that doctrine, out of that truth, out of that foundational matter comes a relational experience with the Lord. It's beyond just a head knowledge. It's beyond just knowing something about Christ. It's knowing Christ. It's beyond knowing something about God and saying, oh yeah, I know God is omnipotent. I know God is omnipresent. I know God is omniscient. I know he's all those great omni words that we use. and all those. We know that God is great and awesome and powerful and, and everything else. But he said, I want you to know more than just about the Father. You will know the Father. You'll know God. That sounds like such an audacious statement, doesn't it? I mean, it really sounds kind of 
to the world, it sounds really out there. You say, I know God. Oh, you know God. Yeah, I know God. How do you know God? I know God through his son, Jesus Christ. I know God through the one who is resurrected from the dead. I know God through the one who is filling me in my life with his presence. I know God. Now, folks, that's not a braggadocious thing. That's not just trying to sound like you're something special. That's really a very humbling thing if you get right down to it. The God of all creation, the God of all redemption, the God of everything has been willing to let you know him. You who rebelled against him, you who lived in sin, you who say, I want to do my own thing, I don't want to do God's thing, has changed you by his Holy Spirit and said, you can know me. Not just about me. You can know me in a relationship. So there's this this joy of understanding that will come after the resurrection and after he departs this world. But there's also the joy of efficacious prayer, if you will, effective prayer. Because he starts talking in the end of uh, verse 23 and through verse 24, he says, listen, truly I say to you, truly, truly I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now, don't you see something here that's very important? These were, these were religious men. These were men who had studied in the synagogue and in the temple. These were men, his disciples, who had been taught now for, for three years by him about God. And, and, and these were men that had prayed. I want you to know these disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We, we want to be a praying people. We want to know how to pray. And so in the, in the model prayer, Jesus says, pray in this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. And he, he taught them how to pray. But you notice there that in that prayer, they were praying to the Father. They were praying to God, just as they had been taught in, in their Jewish upbringing and in their Jewish background. These faithful men had on many occasions asked God for many things in prayer. Of that there is no doubt. But there's a new theological order. And this new order stipulates now that they ask in Jesus' name. They've never done that. In all their prayer time, whether before becoming disciples of Christ, when they were just good Jews, or whether now, as they followed Christ, they've said, teach us how to pray. They've always just said, Father, God, Creator, Almighty One, Yahweh, Jehovah, this is what we need. And they've asked God for that. But now there's something new. Something that belongs to this new spiritual era that has been inaugurated by Christ and is being inaugurated by his his death and his resurrection. And now we come to that point where he says, now in, in this point, in the future, from this point on, when you see me in my resurrection, you will ask and you will ask the Father for anything you ask him, but you'll ask it in my name. Jesus is saying here, I I am now both the passport by which you obtain access into the presence of God, into the audience chamber of God, and and I'm also the medium, the, 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 the way in which God answers that prayer, in which the divine answer comes. It is in me and through me, and I am now your great mediator. The writer of Hebrews, we studied Hebrews, talked about that. We have one mediator. We don't have a priest on the earth. 
We don't have a pastor who is a mediator for us with us in God. We who are Christians have one mediator, one high priest, one to whom we go, one by whom we have the passport to gain entrance into the presence of, of God, in, into an audience with Almighty God. And that passport is the name of Jesus. And it means more than just adding on to the end of a prayer. We do that, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. That's a great ending for prayer. But it means more than just tacking that on to a prayer. It means that we are in Him, and He is in us, and there's that relational thing that takes place, and we go into the presence of God, ushered there by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the passport. And it's through Him that the Father the Father blesses us and answers us. But, but hear what he's saying here. Until at now you've asked for nothing in my name. That hasn't been the pattern. That hasn't been the passport. You just prayed. You just talked to the Father. You've asked God for this. But now you ask in my name and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Oh. It's not just to get stuff. It's not just to say, God, this is what I want and I'm going to Tack on this in Jesus' name so that you'll have to give it to me. But he's saying the purpose of learning to pray this way, the purpose of learning to pray in Christ, in Jesus, is so that your joy, your joy may be full. Your joy that is contingent upon knowing our God reigns. Your joy that is contingent upon knowing that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what circumstance, no matter what difficulty, no matter what grief, that He is there with you in the midst of that. Your joy that is built upon the fact that Jesus Christ is who He said He was and He did raise from the dead to validate that. I mean, it's all built around Jesus wants us to know His joy. And that's a great blessing, that's a great gift, that's a great truth that comes. And so Jesus says, I want you to know there'll be this renewed relationship. Now there'll be a joy of understanding and there'll be the joy of effective prayer in my name. But I love how John shows us just one last time a glaring instance of misunderstanding by the disciples. If you look there beginning in verse 25, you know, Jesus telling them, I've, I've been speaking to you in figurative language, but an hour is coming when I'm going to be plain with you, and I assume a lot of that was in that period between the resurrection and the ascension, and I will tell you plainly of the Father. You know, one of the reasons for Christ coming to the world, obviously, was the cross and redemption, but one of, another reason was that he would come in the world in, to reveal the Father in, in a revelatory ministry to reveal who the Father was. And he says here, I'm going to tell you plainly about the Father. You're going to know about Him in ways you didn't know. In that day you will ask in my name, and, and I do not say that I will request the Father on your behalf, but rather you just go directly to Him through me. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me. And to believe that I came forth from the Father. So, so Jesus says, I want you to know I came from the Father. And I've come into the world, but now I'm leaving the world. I'm going back to the Father. And then his disciples respond. you got to love them. you got to love the disciples. Surely Peter was one of the ones who spoke up this way. John doesn't tell us who it was. He just says the disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly. 
and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. That sounds like a great statement of faith, doesn't it? I mean, you can, you can almost imagine. They're saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to stand on this. We're going to believe this. We know you're from the Father. We know the things you're speaking are truth. We know that you're the one who's come into the world. We, we're ready for that. But Jesus is going to point out in verse 31 when he answered them and said, do you now believe? He's going to say in just a short while, an hour's coming, it's already come, you're going to be scattered. You're going to go back to your homes. You're going to go hide. You're going to be afraid. I mean, I mean, you, you talk big right now, but what's going to happen when the hour comes? What's going to happen when they come and they seize me and take me off as a prisoner? What, what are you going to do then? Are you going to say, oh, we believe you're from God and everything's just like we believe right now? <laughs> I think Jesus is showing us here that, you know, even... The best Christians know very little of their own hearts. Even the best Christians, think of who you think of as the best Christian you've ever known. Maybe it's your parent, or maybe it's Billy Graham, or maybe it's somebody else. But let me tell you something, even the best know very little of their own heart. These guys are making bold statements. We believe now, we're ready. And Jesus said, I want you to know you're really not. Not yet. But here's what I love about Jesus in this passage. Our Lord looks at them and sees that they have really little faith, weak faith. Faith, but very weak. And yet he speaks kindly to them. He doesn't expect us to be spiritual giants that, that soar above everybody else and never have doubts and never have struggles and, and when pain really hits us and when circumstances really hit us that we don't recoil just a little bit and say, whoa, where did that come from? He doesn't expect us to be perfect saints. He didn't expect that of disciples. He said, do you really believe? Now, do you now believe? Hours coming. Hours coming when you're going to scatter. How weak was the faith and love of the apostles here. Yet weak as their faith was, it was real, and it was genuine, and it was true. It may be true of your faith. You may still struggle with a lot of things. That's okay. That's okay as long as you realize where you're to keep your focus. You may get hit by a circumstance and say, can God really love me? That, that's okay. As long as you keep your focus on Christ who gave himself for you, on Christ who has called you to himself. You, you may say, I don't understand this situation. That's okay. The disciples thought they were ready to face anything. We'll see later. Peter really thought he had the answer to the whole thing, which he didn't. But, but they, they said, we're ready. Man, we are ready, Lord. We know you're who you say you are. And he says, but your, your faith is weak. You're, you're going to scatter. You're going to run. You're going to hide. You're not going to understand what is taking place. And they do run. But guess what? They also returned. They were fearful those three days. 
They thought their world had collapsed. They thought everything they just said here. We now understand. We now see that you're speaking to us plainly. We know and we believe that you came from God. We believe you're everything you say about yourself figuratively, figuratively as you have spoken and now literally as you have spoken. That's great. We're ready. Whatever it takes. And that faith proved to be small and weak. Peter will even stand in a courtyard and deny he even knows Jesus. Can you believe that? His faith was weak. They'll ask him three times. Even a little servant girl will say, I know, I saw you with him. And he's going to declare with everything he has within him, I don't know him. Maybe even cursing. Yet when that hour comes, when that hour comes, he's raised from the dead. When that hour comes and they see him, his resurrection body, they return. They come back. We experience that. I mean, we, we have times when we struggle and when we say, I don't know if God cares. I don't know if God loves me. Let me tell you, take it by faith. He does. Take it on the words of Christ. He does. And he will restore you and he will strengthen you no matter how difficult it seems to be. I I think we need to understand here in that last verse that Jesus is making clear that he is the true source of peace in this world. Possessions are not going to give you peace. You have a lot of possessions, you're all go- always going to worry and fret that somebody might steal them from you. If you have a lot of wealth and it's all wrapped up in investments and all, you're always going to fear and be afraid that the stock market might crash. No peace in that. Maybe a temporal peace, well I've got this, but it could all be gone tomorrow. There, there's no, even no peace in relationships, human relationships, because we recognize that they can come and they can go and they can break and they can do all sorts of things. There's no peace in that. But Jesus says, I want you to know that in the world you're going to have tribulation, in the world you're going to have things that are going to try to steal your peace. But take courage, because I have overcome the world. If anything, Jesus is showing us even early on here that as far as our belief is, it clearly means that the resurrection should be the center point of our proclamation about Jesus. Not his moral teachings, as important as they are. Not even the miracles that he did, as important as they are, to point to him as signs and as as evidences that he really is who he said he is those are all but the resurrection is the ultimate sign the resurrection is the ultimate pointer the resurrection is the ultimate thing that says i am he and it's god's verification it's god's stamp of approval so the resurrection is not just one of several or one of many series of events in the life of Jesus, the resurrection is his, it climaxes his, his self-revelation into the world. It climaxes in saying, now everything else is true because of this one event. You know, when you start trying to share the gospel with your friends or family or 
whatever, and they bring up all sorts of objections. Well, I don't know if I believe in the, re- in the miracle of the virgin birth. I don't know if I believe he really walked on water. I don't know if I believe he really fed 5,000 people with such a small quantity of fish and bread. I don't know if all that can be true or not. Don't get hung up there. Go straight to the resurrection. Well, you know, if, if this happened, this resurrection happened, why is it hard to believe any of the other stuff? Well, the resur- all those other things are, are things we have recorded in the Gospels and we believe it on faith, but the resurrection is that thing, and we'll talk about as we come into Easter even more, the resurrection is that thing, that event, that, that, that happening in history that, that is not only in the Scripture, but it's verifiable by evidences. It really did take place, folks. It really did take place. If the Jews had sold the body, they would have just presented it a few days later and said, this bunch of crazy disciples, <laughs> they're saying he's risen. We got the body right here. All sorts of theories, all sorts of ideas that were presented fall on the face of the evidence. His resurrection is the, is the doorway to knowing God for you and me. It's a historical confirmation that God has, per, uh, has penetrated our world and has begun to set things right that were set wrong at the fall. It's evidence that God has, has not just spoken to the world through prophets, but by taking on flesh and blood, he has penetrated this world. He has come into this world. As John said in, in John 1, he has now come and dwelt among us. And now his resurrection is going to say all of that is true. And because of that, you can know him. He's going to pray about that in John 17. I can't wait to get to that passage. First five verses next week, Lord willing. Listen. It needs to be a part of our prayers. It needs to be a part of your prayer. I don't know how you pray. I don't know. You know, your prayers may be as simple as a child's prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. You know, it, it may be very simple like, Lord, just give me this and give me that. Your prayers may be caught up in how you perceive what your needs are. I, I don't know. What, I don't know how you pray. But I really believe a vital part of our prayer in light of what Jesus is saying to these disciples at the end of John 16, a vital part of our daily prayers ought to be simply this. Lord, help me know you better. Deepen my relationship. Deepen my walk. Lord, I want to know you, the only true God. I want to know you intimately through your Son. I want to know you intimately through your Holy Spirit. I want to know you intimately through your Word. We ought to be praying. Lord, I want to know you more. I don't want to be satisfied with my walk with you that I had in in 2013. I I want a deeper, more more personal, more intimate walk with you in 2014. Lord, I want to understand you better. I want to understand your ways in my life better. Some of those ways are, are mysterious. Some of those ways are, 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 are not understood at all. But Lord, I want to know you, and I want to know how you're at work in my life. You know that bad circumstance that I viewed as bad? Lord, will you show me how you're going to use that for your glory and for my good?
Lord, Lord will you show me how you're going to how you're going to take that and mold me like an old piece of clay into something that is valuable for you and for your kingdom? Lord, will you, will you let me know you so well that when I fall on my face before you to pray, I'm not just shouting something heavenward. I'm not just saying words, but I'm conversing with a Father who loves me greater than my earthly father ever dreamed of loving me or greater than you ever loved one of your children. He says, listen, I came to reveal to you the Father, and now I go to the Father, and I go there to be your intermediary. I go there to be your mediator. I I go there to be one who you pray in my name and come into the presence of a holy God, and in my name he gives you divine truth and shows you his divine presence in your life. Are you praying and just saying, Lord, show me more of yourself every single day? Or is our life just kind of like, well, Sunday, I think I'll think about the Lord today. I think I'll think about Christ. Think about my Heavenly Father. Sunday, that's what you're supposed to do on Sunday. Jesus is saying to these disciples and ultimately to you and me, it ain't just about Sunday, folks. Sunday's important. Gathering together for corporate worship, gathering together to, to encourage one another, and as the right of Hebrews says, to stimulate one another to, to good deeds and to love. I mean, that's, that's a, Sunday's important, but folks, it's not just all about Sunday. It's about your walk with Him Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's about Him, perme- him penetrating your life and permeating everything about you, how you do your job, how you do this, how you do everything. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. In the world you're going to have difficulties. In the world you're going to be hated. They're going to hate you because they hated me. In the world there's going to be struggle. But here's the good news. I, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. If you are in me, and I am in you, the world can't get you down. The world can't destroy you. The world can't crush you. Now, granted, as believers, we can certainly let the world deal us a blow. Again, the whole key is keeping our eyes focused on the one who is sufficient in all things. Remember, we talked about this a lot of times. In the world, our gaze must be on God. Our gaze must be on Christ and our glance at our circumstances. We fall into all sorts of problems when we let our gaze be on our circumstances and we just occasionally glance toward God and say, oh God, this is really bad, and and just concentrate on that. Our concentration is to be on God and we say, Lord, we worship you, we honor you, we want to know you, we want to walk with you, and that's a bad situation, but Lord, you're the sufficient for all of this. Our gaze, our focus, our attention on him. Just glance at the circumstances. Just long enough to say, Lord, you got to deal with that. I can't. 
you got to handle that. I'm helpless with it. Lord, I can't overcome it in my own strength. I can't, I can't deal with it in my own strength. But Lord, you have overcome the world, and by overcoming the world, you've overcome that circumstance. Lord, I commit it to you. May our prayer be, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. I want to know you in your present, indwelling, powerful way in my life. And I want to face the world not as I am inclined to face the world, but I want to face the world through your eyes, Lord, and through your presence in my life. Oh, Lord, grant it for us. We might walk with him and then share that truth with those we touch every single day. Let's pray together. The Father loves us. we enter into his presence in prayer in Jesus' name. He loves us because we're in Christ. He loves us because we've been adopted into his family. And ours, like the disciples' faith, may be weak, but it's real. And the longer we walk with him and the more we gaze upon him, the stronger that faith will be. We see him at work. In this world, we know trouble, tribulation, difficult circumstances. But he has overcome the world and has promised to us not an easy life, not everything we'd ever want, but he's promised to us his peace. Not peace as the world gives, but his peace as one who's overcome the world. Father, I pray this morning for men and women in this room that may not know you, for young people that may never have trusted you, confessed you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in their life today by the promises of this passage. Your Holy Spirit will open their eyes to see their sin and their need for a Savior and to see that Jesus is the only Savior, the resurrected one. Father, I pray for others who, like these disciples, they're, they're weak, their, their faith is weak. Strengthen it, O Lord. Strengthen my faith, O Lord. Because it's far from what it needs to be. Lord, work in our lives, work in our our spirits, O oh Lord, at the very heart of our lives, to draw us ever closer to you. This is all by faith. Faith in the only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, do your work now. As we sing, even as we leave, Lord, trouble us by your truth if we're not walking in it. Thank you, dear Father. In Jesus' name we pray.